Now is the time to reinforce your bowling arsenal, and BowlerX.com is the online leader in price, service, and selection. With free insured shipping on every item we carry, including a complete line of Pro Shop supplies, as well as balls, bags, shoes, accessories, and more. Also, check out the large selection of closeout and discontinued items at a fraction of their original cost. BowlerX.com, your online bowling superstore and proud sponsor of Above180.com. Hi, this is Norm Duke. You're listening to Above180.com with Tim Bird and Joey Serrar. BowlerX.com, your online bowling equipment superstore, presents the Above180.com podcast. Tim Berg and Joey Serrar are ready to hit the lanes, approaching the issues that you, the bowler, want to know. From the latest equipment reviews, coaching, to drilling layouts and the stars of the PBA, now, from Washington, D.C. and the Bowler's Pro Shop in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, here are your hosts, Tim Berg and Joey Serrar. Joining us tonight on the Above180.com podcast is Wes Malott. Wes is the 2013 U.S. Open champion, bowled last week in Columbus, Ohio. Wes is a member of the Roto Grip and Storm staff. He's also a vice staffer and Dexter staffer as well. So, Wes, I want to thank you for joining us tonight. Absolutely, guys. Thanks for having me. Well, Wes, it's been a little bit of time now since uh, you won the U.S. Open. Has it sunk in yet? And just kind of put everything in perspective and, and how things have transpired since Saturday. Well, it definitely has taken a little bit longer than most. Um, you know, uh, I still still don't have the trophy at home with me yet. Uh, that's, in the, I believe, in the process of being mailed uh, to the house. So, uh, you know, it, it's it's still sinking in. And I'm sure once that trophy gets here and, and I see it, you know, sitting out on the, you know, wherever I decide to put it in the trophy case, or uh, I'm sure I'll probably bring it up to the shop because uh, a lot of customers have been asking to see it. But, uh, you know, seeing it and, and getting through all of this, you know, again, heading to Houston this weekend for the Lucy Bonneau Mixed Doubles Tournament, uh, which is a, a very, a lot of national staff guys actually, you know, tour players go down to this tournament. So it's a, Donna Connors has done an unbelievable job with that tournament. So seeing those guys and having them congratulate me again and then being able to go, you know, I won't see most of them again until November at the World Series. So, um, you know, all of that is part of it kind of sinking in and and really, you know, uh, going to that point is is just a part of it. And it's just a, like I said, it's a huge relief to, to finally get that major title. Uh, on the resume because that's something we've all or I've been talking about for probably the last four or five years that's the next big thing to to put on the resume and check off the bucket list so uh, it's been a long time coming and uh, to finally do it is is a a big accomplishment to to myself. Do you feel the winning of the U.S. Open is a defining moment in your career because you've had a number of successes along the way and I'm sure some hardship as well uh, and you've been doing this for quite a number of years, but do you feel this is not the crowning moment, let's say, but but definitely a defining moment in West Malad's career? Sure, it's it's kind of like someone just told me tonight, a good a good friend of mine. Uh, you know, he says, "Do you feel like you finally climbed that mountain, and now everything's just downhill?" And I said, "You know, yes and no. I mean, really, no. I, I mean, it might be one of those." hills or bumps along the way to get to the top of the mountain but before you can really call it you know top of the mountain i think i mean it's all four of them in the you know 
not just the Triple Crown, but the Grand Slam is, you know, I think that's when it would really, and that doesn't mean you're at the top of the mountain and everything else is downhill because you still got one career ahead of you at that point for some of the guys who have done it. So uh, not, I mean, if I remember, there's probably only three guys, if that, who have actually won the Grand Slam. So that's a huge feat. And, uh, you know, that's, that's, that's just what everybody remembers you for is how many major titles you have. I mean, if you look at Tiger Woods or Jack Nicholas, I mean, does anybody really know how many titles they have? I know Tiger's up in the 70s, but um, we all know that Jack has the record of 18 major titles and Tiger has 14, and that's what the chasing is. And uh, we all know Pete has five U.S. Open titles. I mean, that's what everybody knows. And, and to finally get that put on there, uh, man, it's just it's a big, big relief. And I knew I could do it and, and to fight through it with the knee injury that I'm having and, and still fighting through that and strengthening it up. Uh it just again, you fight. You can do pretty much anything you want, and uh, the mind and the the mental game uh, at that point obviously outweighs the, the physical game. You know, and I think I proved that. Well, and, and that's good to hear. And and I I hope it maybe makes things easier or takes a little pressure off your shoulders because you've definitely had some uh, you know some challenges in your career due, due to your knee problems. And in fact. You missed the Milwaukee Open this spring because of it. I, I was kind of hoping to see you out there. Uh, you want to tell our listeners kind of what you've been through uh, with the challenges that your knees have presented to, to you? Well, back at uh, the World Series of Bowling in November of 2012, uh, about halfway through the, the two weeks there, I started feeling my knee tighten up and swell, and I wasn't real sure what was going on and uh, ended up not even – I fought through – you know, the world championship and going through that. And then, uh, but then I decided to lay off and I just didn't think I could compete and bowl any of the regionals throughout the weekend there of the TV show. So, uh, you know, fought through it, fought through it, obviously came home and, and, uh, you know, went to a couple of doctors or orthopedic surgeons and talked to them and got a couple of opinions and it was just a torn meniscus. But, uh, so they weren't too concerned. Uh, I was just, uh, you know, as far as making anything worse. And that was my main concern is if I keep doing this, am I going to make something worse and possibly in my, in my career because of my knee. And, uh, you know, there was no concern there. It was basically just, you know, as long as I could get through it, then that, that was going to be the biggest thing. So, uh, I had to put it off until April, uh, just because of timing with tournaments, there wasn't enough time in between to get it fixed. And then, get back out there and be ready. So put it off till April, got it fixed. And, uh, you know, I got in there and it was sure enough, it was a torn meniscus and, uh, also some cartilage kind of, you know, he cleaned that up a little bit and, you know, took care of that and just getting it built back up and getting it strengthened up is, is where we're at now. Um, you know, I hadn't really bowled a whole lot. There was, uh, the weekend, a week before the U.S. Open, I bowled a regional, which was 12 games on Saturday and 16 straight on Sunday. And it felt really good on Saturday, no problems whatsoever. But Sunday, about halfway through the 16 games, it started flaring up and getting tight again. And that was really the first thing. And, you know, took some time off during that week before the Open. Wasn't really sure how the Open was going to go. But, man, it, it felt really good at the Open uh, all the way up until that last round of match play. So, the last eight games on Monday, eight games Tuesday, eight games Wednesday, six and eight, so 14 total on Thursday, and then eight 
in the morning without even with really any pain whatsoever. Uh, to me, I thought it was really good. I uh, just went to the you know my chiropractor today, who's helping me get through all this stuff too and keeping everything you know moving really well and and going. And, and uh, that's what I was telling him today. It just uh, I thought it was pretty good considering it's just trying to keep the swelling down, keep the ice on it, and uh, you know get it strengthened back up. And that's just part of the process right now. So this is this is the first you know injury of any kind for me. So this is all new to me. Well, well, yeah, Wes, and, and um, you, you answered one of my questions, which is I was going to ask how you prepared, but it sounds like you bowl the weekend before to prepare for it. And because when you bowl a long form tournament like that, you have to wonder if your knee can hold up. Um, so I won't even ask that question because you already answered it. But my, my question I do have is this, you know, like you said, um, you got the TV and you bowled against Marshall the first game, which was not televised. And that was really, quite honestly, probably your toughest match of the, of the game where you had to get up, you know, make, make your 10-pin spare, you know, and, and fill to, to beat them with the, you know, 2-0 two, two to 190. And after that, you know, Pete struggled against you to carry. He didn't, he had, didn't have the same look you did. And then uh, Belmo had the same, same sort of deal. So did you see Pete and Belmo both struggling during practice? I, I mean, I know there's a little bit of a difference, but I just wondered, did – were they getting that same reaction during practice or were people kind of trying to fish around with equipment and that's when you kind of thought, wow, these guys don't really even, they're kind of looking looking for something too. Or they're kind of looking when you had, you know, you had a pretty good look your first game as well. Well, definitely. I mean, my look didn't look great at the beginning of practice because obviously after that first match that was off of live TV, they re-oiled again after that. And Belmo came on and, and he threw 10 minutes of practice before uh, Pete, and myself even came to the practice pair. So, uh, you know, when we got over there, it was definitely, you know, kind of watching Pete's reaction a little bit. It didn't look great. Uh, I didn't have a ton of confidence in mind, to be honest with you, but uh, my main thing was just keep my feet slow and keep my feet underneath me, and that was the main thing I tried to do. And I just, I mean, I don't know why Pete struggled so much um, other than his ball was just, you know, he couldn't get it. He wasn't, you know, he wasn't getting it to the right quick enough and getting it to slow down before it shot through the end of the pattern and went too long. Um, and when you see that, obviously your thing is, well, I just missed too far right and I just need to, you know, not throw it so far right. Well, that obviously wasn't the right trick. And I think that game before the TV show against Marshall actually gave me a little bit of heads up to what the TV pair was doing because we only bowled three or eight games in that center throughout the week so we really hadn't seen a whole lot of transition like we did at uh wayne webbs because of you know bowling all the match play and stuff like that and that's where you really start to see all the transitions and people know what's going on with the lanes by the time you get to tv so to take it to a different center uh definitely makes it a little bit you know different makes it kind of anyone's game nobody's really going to dominate at that point so um you know I, i think that first match really was huge to help me and to see those guys struggle, Belmo again, I mean, my thing is during the matches, I didn't want these guys to throw a shot because I didn't want anything getting into my head. Obviously, there was a lot of Brooklyn stone throughout the week, so anything could have happened at any time. And I was just trying to bowl my game and, and worry about that and nothing else. Uh, Wes, I've got a kind of a two-parter question. Uh, the first being, do you feel that that house played similarly to how it had played earlier in the week? And the second part is, can you kind of walk us through your equipment choices and were they your choices or were they more choices from Dell or 
say, Wormersheim? Well, I mean, you know, those guys definitely help out. But with me, um, as knowledgeable as I am about the equipment, uh, you know, some guys out there really, you know, don't have a whole whole lot of clue about the equipment and the numbers and the cores and, and all that stuff. And I'm pretty familiar with that. So usually those guys, I mean, are just kind of there if I have questions usually. So, um, and they definitely help throughout the week. I mean, if I have any questions whatsoever, I mean, boom, they're on top of me. Hey, what, what do you see? What's going on? And, but equipment-wise, you know, the new High Road Pearl uh, was definitely a, a big factor for me this or last week. Um, and I threw that pretty much in all three of the centers. And then, you know, there was a, you know, a couple of times uh, an IQ Tour solid definitely came into play, just a core that, you know, wouldn't quite grab the mid lane as strong as like the High Road Pearl because it doesn't have as much stiff in it. So it would kind of hold line a little bit longer and be a little smoother down there. Um, you know, the, the gold ball came into play a little bit. And then uh, once we got into match play, uh, you know, obviously we had the catchers round first and what I was seeing, I was just like, what's going on? You know, talking to the guys and I said, what do you think about a wrecker? They said, well, that's definitely an option. It's definitely something that kind of makes some sense. So I went and put some holes in a wrecker and, uh, I ended up going at the first round of match play and I had, it just gave me a, a little bit more area than anything else, uh, a little bit smoother than like a high road pearl. So, you know, I was able to stay a little right, stay a little firmer and, and it just gave me you know, opened the lane up tremendously. And I think I shot 1050 or so for the first four. So really put a big move on right there at the beginning of that first round of match play. And that's really probably what got me into the show and allowed me to stay there without having any concerns whatsoever coming down to the end, you know, uh, because after that, you know, I just didn't quite throw it as well later in the, you know, the later rounds of match play and just kind of hung around and, and stayed there and, you know, at that point, Hyro Pearl came back into play. Again, IT Tour Solid came back into play. But, uh, you know, they definitely broke down quite a bit, and we had to get left and, and lost it over the gutter cap. But, uh, you know, that's that's the U.S. Open, and that's what makes it so fun and it makes it challenging to be able to play all those different angles and brings out the, the best of the best. Again, 2013 U.S. Open champion Wes Mallott joining us tonight. Wes, I want to get your thoughts on this because it's kind of been a topic that's been on Twitter and Facebook, but um, much is being made of the fact that there was eight Storm slash Roto Grip staffers who made it to the show on Saturday. I mean, all, all eight of you guys throw either Storm or Roto Grip. So I just want to ask you this, and obviously we know that uh, you know we've talked to members from the other companies and and. All balls, you know, everyone makes great equipment and there's a lot of competition there. But why do you think or what's your opinion as to why you guys seem to have the better look throughout the week? I mean, I know it just wasn't carry. Uh, is there some? Is there a contributing factor that you think that, that a flatter pattern like this or the, the U.S. Open pattern or the longer format, or is there anything that maybe you think contributes to why uh, you guys all kind of rose to the top? You know, I mean, you all say that. I mean, obviously, Storm does, in my opinion. I mean, they're dominating the industry. They make the, I mean, in my opinion, the best balls on the market. I, I do get all that. And they, when I say the best balls, I think the biggest thing is that they just have the best selection from top to bottom as far as trying to build an arsenal. And, and that's between Storm and Rotogrip. They're Both of their lines are just unbelievable right now. And to be a part of it is awesome, but... You know, um, 
it's it's a huge accomplishment to have all eight people, eight players on the TV show with Storm and, and Rotogrip. So, you know, as far as the other companies, I mean, you know, they, I don't, in my opinion, with bowling balls, I don't think there's a bad bowling ball on the market. Now, there's some that are definitely great, if you want to say, and some that are better than others. And when I say that and what makes them great or better than others is they're just more versatile. You're allowed to, to be able to use them on more different length conditions. And uh, with the, the, you know, with the shorter pattern and the friction in the front and middle part of the lane that we saw this week, you know, and I just, the biggest thing is I just think our products, we have the best line top to bottom. And it's really the main thing that it is, in my opinion. Uh, Wes, regarding that, that equipment choices between Storm and Roto, do you feel since their decision to allow staffers to use either company uh, greatly helped your chances uh, during the U.S. Open or not? Well, I mean, since I've signed on with Rotogrip back in 2008, there's been a lot of, you know, talk back and forth. Uh, I think I might have been the main reason why we were allowed to throw both different or both brands. Um, and mainly it was because Ebonite started doing it with, with all four of their brands. So it was something that kind of got brought up to me just because I felt I was a little limited with the Rotogrip line. Obviously, Rotogrip isn't quite as known or used as much as the Storm products. So Storm obviously has more options available on the market compared to the Rotogrip line just because of popularity and, and stuff like that. Uh, so it was partially me to probably kind of get that opened up just because I had some concerns, so it happened. They took it back away, and, you know, uh, at that point I was, you know, I was okay with it because they asked, they even asked me, you know, what do you think of, you know, asking me about switching the storm or doing this or doing that, and, you know, there's just so much marketing that's happened as far as, you know, me with the Rotogrip brand, so if something like that were to happen, that's a huge chunk of money that you got to go reinvest and, and build back on, and, you know, they were probably willing to do it, but as soon as we would have done it, then I'm going to start liking the rotogrip balls more than the storm balls, and then we would have been in the same exact boat. So, you know, I said, guys, I said, well, it's not even worth it. Don't even mess with it. Just We'll figure it out. We'll go through it. And then the next year, you know, Mika wins on TV throwing a different ball than what he was actually wearing on his shirt and what he was logoed as or representative as. So, you know, a call was made, and we were allowed to throw up both brands again. And, uh, you know, that was made from, uh, from my understanding, the big boss. So when the big boss says something goes, that's what's going to go. And, uh, you know, he, he's very smart and uh, understands us. And, uh, you know, the storm isn't called the Bowlers Company for no reason. So, uh, you know, and that's, that's what it's, that whole company, even though Rotogrip is definitely a brand of storm, uh, we're all one family. But the Bowlers Company is what the whole company is mainly known for, and uh, it definitely means what that means. So, uh, you know, it's with anything, you you first and foremost have to worry about your product and what's going to make them sell, and, and that's why it's called the Bowlers Company because the bowlers who, you know, throw these balls and make a living is definitely probably the, the first and foremost uh, as far as uh, marketing and, and sales go. Well, Wes, in our final time here, we just want to ask you um, if you have any John Jowdy memories. As, as uh, many people know, uh, Mr. Jowdy passed away, a, a longtime coach, 
and uh, and his his days down in Texas with Columbia. Uh, so, if do you have any any sort of things you'd like to share with our listeners as far as maybe some fond memories you had with Mr. Jowdy? Yeah, I was uh, you know working in the shop today, and my wife obviously I guess had been on Facebook or something and saw that John had passed and said something to me. And obviously, I mean, we knew the time was unfortunately coming for a great guy, uh, but any you know you never want to see it happen to somebody like that. He's just a huge uh, ambassador to the sport. He spent a lot of time and, and loved this tremendously. Uh, I don't know that there's ever anybody or ever will be anybody like Jody again. Uh, you know, in our sport. So, um, as far as memories with Jody, uh the biggest thing that really kind of comes to mind. I mean, as uh, you know, as we all know, I, my first national staff contract was with Columbia 300. So I do know Jody and. Uh, has spent some time with him, but the one that really sticks to me is, uh, you know, doing a clinic with him up in Canada. Uh, you know, he's a very, his coaching was very simple, uh, but very uh, productive at the same time. And the main thing that really sticks with me is, or one of his things for coaching is lead with the reach, ring finger. We can say it a million different ways, but if you really think about it, that's the most simple and most basic and, and easiest way to, to really keep your hand on the inside of the ball where you want it to be uh, to, to make sure your hand's not going early or going outside the wall. Uh, and uh, I'm really sad to hear that he's gone, but uh, what a great guy he was uh, to all of us. I mean, it didn't matter who he was. I mean, he would see most of the storm, all the, the, the guys out on tour. I mean, we all knew who he was, and he always made it a point to come say hi to us. And, uh, you know, he always had his... His ones that he, you know, if you want to say he liked some other than, you know, more than others or whatever, but he always had his guys, uh, you know. <laughs> I guess the, the other thing that, that kind of just popped into my mind is he had the all-spare team, uh, the guys who were not very good at making spares. And uh, I might, I think I might have actually made that team uh, early in my career, but uh, have gotten tremendously better uh, over the years. So uh, John's just always, was always fun and, uh, man, we're going to miss him. All right, Wes. Well, and with that note, we'll, we'll leave things there. I want to thank you for joining us. Very busy, uh, busy, hectic week for you, and, and thanks for sharing that story. Uh, as you said, uh, Mr. John Jody will be missed by all. So uh, with that, we're going to wrap things up here tonight. It was, uh, was a pleasure talking to you and uh, continued success, and we will see you. Like you said, you're bowling this weekend, and then you're going to be bowling the uh, – the uh, tournaments in Vegas once things start back up in November, like you said. So, uh, Wes, for Tim Berg, Joe Sarr, just want to thank you for joining us tonight. Hey, guys. Again, nice talking to you. Thanks for having me anytime. All right, Wes, thank you. For Tim Berg, Joe Sarr, Wes Malott, good luck and good bowling.